Welcome, everybody, to the Monthly Movie Dispatch. Uh, we get together every month and talk about the movies we've seen, what we recommend, and what to avoid. Uh, what separates us from the other 100,000 movie-related shows is that we're high school friends, and we've been talking film for over 15 years. Uh, we love talking about movies, and we'd be doing it even if nobody was listening. Um, we, As you might notice, we have a new guest on this podcast. Uh, his name is Cal, and he is subbing in for our typical host, Nick Moffitt. Because Nick has just had his second baby. Woo! Um, congrats, Woo. Nick. It's pretty amazing. Um, Cal, we're happy to have you here with us. Thanks. I'm stoked to be here. Uh, hey, Cal. I've, I've been on as a clip, and I've been on a special episode with just two of you. Yeah, mm-hmm. the, the Star Wars yep. special. So yeah. I've, the Star Wars special where we six went hour four, <laughs> yeah, four hours. <laughs> So, yeah, we talked about Star Wars for longer than any of the movies. <laughs> it's true. So I'm I'm happy the to be on with um, more of you, and someday I hope I can come back with all of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We can find a space for a fifth window in the quadrant. Uh, you can make it very but small. We, it's okay. <laughs> so we also have Sean Bulby from Seattle, Washington, joining us. Hey, that's me. And Derek Deal also from Seattle-ish, Washington, joining us. Hi. Uh, so let's do some warm-up questions. Sean, I'm going to throw this right back at you, okay? Okay. Um, so prolific experimental composers, uh, Johnny Greenwood or Trent Reznor from popular <laughs> 90s bands? Go. Um, yeah, uh, I guess Trent Reznor? I think you, it's interesting. Both of them have mostly just done uh, stuff with one director. I, it's like, yeah, yeah. Um, no, Johnny Greenwood. Wait, I'm David going Johnny Fincher. Greenwood. Yeah, and David Fincher. Who's the other one? And uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. Right. Yeah, they kind of stick in their lanes. Mm-hmm. Trent Reznor did the uh, all the music for the Damon Lindelof Watchmen series yeah. too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we're watching that right now. But you're sticking Johnny Greenwood. Yeah, I'm going to go Johnny Greenwood. <laughs> okay. That's okay. a good call. Um, all right. So, Derek, uh, different mm-hmm. question. Um, the two popular Dan Harmon shows, Community or Rick and Morty? Go. Community. Yeah, that's the right call. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally. Agree. Have you been keeping up with season four? Of Rick and Morty? Yeah. I think mm-hmm. the... Did the new season? Per- no. No. What? I think they. I think it got delayed. Oh, did it? No. No. I mean, well, they did the first five, and then the okay. second five was supposed to come out on like four twenty, I think. But I think it got delayed. And I actually haven't thought about it. All right. Anyways, I just. Uh, um, I just heard that Community is like the in the top ten or top five shows on Netflix right now. I believe it. Oh, that's it's, awesome. It's, yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of top shows on Netflix, um, in light of Greg Daniels' new series, which isn't on Netflix, um, but Cow, mm. uh, what's your favorite Greg Daniels series, Parks and Rec or The Office? Oh, uh, Parks and Rec all the way. Um, I've actually been rewatching The Office uh, in quarantine with my wife. Um, it's one of her <laughs> favorite shows, and like The Office is solid all the way through. Um, but actually, I stopped watching The Office during its original run because it got too, like, mean for me and uh (laughs) like there's a there's a point where 
I mean, it's all in good fun, but there's there's like a point where someone hires a hitman to kill somebody else in the office, and it's like <laughs> absurd, but that's like the level of uh, like antagonism in that what relationship. Season is that? It's it's in the later what? seasons. Um, okay, that makes sense. Okay, but uh, but Parks and Rec is is basically the opposite of that. You know, it's like. Everyone is super positive, like mm-hmm. understandable and great or charming. Even the horrible characters, like Jeremy Jam, uh, is like weirdly charming in how horrible he is. And uh, uh-huh. it's you just, just got jammed. <laughs> you just got jammed. So uh, yeah, it's just such such a warm-hearted series. Uh, that one definitely holds a special place in my heart. Even though The Office might have like individual more hilarious moments. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm blanking on the name, but what is Greg Daniels' new series called? Space the Force? Good, Space good Force, Force, I think. Oh. No, no, that's oh, that's that? Michael Schur. Oh. That's his protege. Yeah. Anyways, new sci-fi, not necessarily um, sitcom. So I'm excited to see what he's doing next. Pretty prolific yeah. television mm-hmm. artist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um... I guess the outline of the show that we're going to be doing this month, which we talked about a little bit last last time, since movies aren't really coming out in theaters anymore, we switched up how we're going to do this. And we each picked one movie that hopefully uh, none of the rest of us had seen yet and uh, demanded that we all check out each other's films that we picked. Um, so those films was Derek's uh, Near Dark, uh, Nick's film Moonstruck, Sean's choice was High and Low, and my choice was a film called Mustang. Um, So we're going to be talking about all four of those movies because all of us here on the show have now watched them, and we're ready to discuss. Um, But before we get into that, I guess we are going to be um, picking one movie for next month because we're still in quarantine right now, and this is likely not going to end for a little bit longer, or at least movie theaters aren't going to be opening. Um, So let's... Right here on this episode, let's do let's pick the movies that we're going to be making each other watch for next month. Sean, I think you probably already have yours ready to go. Yeah, I've got mine. Um, yeah, I mean, normally we only reserve picking movies for everyone for winning uh, one of our contests. So uh, I've had a few uh, in the chamber because <laughs> I don't win any of the contests. Are these like uh, aspirational picks or punishment <laughs> picks? <laughs> Mostly aspirational. Um, but my pick is going to be um, After Hours by Martin Scorsese. Oh, nice. Mm. What? I know nothing about it. Oh, man. I, it it's is, great. He, he, was, uh, he was at a weird place in his life when he made this movie. <laughs> I've, uh, uh, but it, the is, year? it is totally bonkers and a ton of fun. It's like 86 or 87, I think. Okay. 85. And it sounds like you've already seen it, Cal. Uh, yeah, in, uh, back, back in the old days, uh, in the before times, um, when, uh, the Irishman was up for an Oscar, um, I was like, you know what? I feel like I'm not fluent enough in Scorsese to like really celebrate this movie. <laughs> that's supposed to be sort of looking back on all of his gangster movies. So I started sort of trying to catch up on Scorsese a little bit. Um, and ironically, I have yet to watch any of his gangster movies, but I've watched a bunch <laughs> of his other ones. Uh, mm. And I still haven't seen The Irishman, even though the Oscars were like two months ago. <laughs> yeah. 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 Nice. So I guess you can either rewatch it or if you remember it enough um, and you're here next month, 
we'll see how yeah. we end up doing it. Yeah, we'll see. But, Either way, I'll watch it because um, I love listening along with you guys. So. <laughs> and either way, you're going to be giving us a pick on Nick's behalf. Is that what we're going for? Uh, I'm down for that. Um, so yeah, I think so. Let's at least start there. So yeah. par- partially why uh, I watched, or or why I am honored to be here in uh, in Nick's stead is uh, he and I work together, so we see each other a lot. So I've heard him talk about Moonstruck a lot since he watched it and uh, got super into it and rewatched it several times. And then actually in much the same way that you were just talking about picking movies to win a contest, a coworker uh, won our Oscar bet and had a dinner party to watch uh, Moonstruck. Uh, and so, oh, okay. um, but it was, it was like going to be one of Nick's picks and he's just been raving about this forever and, you know, talking about how it's one of his favorite romantic comedies. So I think uh, Turnabout is fair play. I wanted to uh, make Nick watch one of my favorite romantic comedies. Uh, and I think I'm going to go with Return to Me, starring uh, David Duchovny and Minnie Driver. Um, it's not quite as buck wild as Moonstruck, because Moonstruck gets pretty buck wild. Uh, but Return to Me does, does have some pretty banana stuff in it that is... Uh, in some ways weirder because they don't acknowledge it as weird. They're just like, oh, no, this is just a rom-com, so you just have to accept this weird stuff at face value. Um, (laughs) But it is a sweet movie. It does have uh, some pretty strong, extremely Italian-American characters, so I feel like Nick could go for that as well. Um, And so that's that's my pick uh, for Nick, but I think uh, you guys might get a kick out of it as well. Uh, Return to Me, starring David Duchovny, Mini Driver. Nice. Awesome. Yeah, another movie I don't know much about, so it'll be fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Derek, what do you got for us? Even if you oh, end up God. changing it later. Okay. I believe in you. <laughs> this is such a hard decision to make. Like, these opportunities don't come around where I get a force you guys to watch a movie. Mm-hmm. But um, I just, the only one I could really think of uh, quickly. Uh, it's another easy to go down movie. It's actually another vampire movie, All right. <laughs> but, uh, it's one that I've watched probably like six times. Whoa. Um, I, and it is a re it's an American remake of a American movie, um, yeah. that was done in the eighties and it's the 2011 Craig Gillespie directed Fright Night. Hmm. Um, all right. It's, uh, yeah. That's I thought pick. you were going to do Let Me In. Yeah, me too. That's I, what I assumed. As soon as I started yeah. saying that, that movie popped into my head. And I was like, oh, I should have said that. <laughs> I know how much you like the and remake, that's too. Uh-huh. Yeah, the remake is yeah. really good. But this movie right, is, um, it's really easy to go down. Like, it's a really, like, just fun movie, easy to watch. Uh, and it's been one of those vamp- those uh, Halloween movies that I've returned to multiple times just because it's so much fun and it's a pretty good movie. So awesome. I've never right. seen awesome. either one, so wait. I'm super on board. Nice. So mine is, and I'm sorry, Cal, you have seen this, but uh, Nick, Sean, and Derek have not, um, is Tarkovsky's Mirror. Oh, nice. <laughs> this is his uh, his strangest film. Um and but it's it's only like an hour and a half long. It's by far his shortest mm. film. Yeah. So nice. not a schleck to get through, but uh, it is very very fascinating at every moment. Yeah. So I'm excited for you guys to watch it. 
Yeah. That's definitely one that I would recommend. Like, it's a weird one. It's, it's, you know, it's not like a thriller with a lot of twists and turns, but it's one that I would like recommend going into blind just because Tarkovsky has that sort of like strange dreamlike mood in a lot of his movies. And I think it's better to go in without an interpretation and just see how it hits you. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's very beautiful. Um, Nice. But we'll talk about that next month. So um, let's do the next two all in one. Uh, Let's do a little catch up on what everyone's been up to during the quarantine. And that'll include kind of what else you've been checking out besides these four movies um, that we're going to talk about today. Sounds Um, good. Sean, what's been keeping you busy media wise? Um, I've been watching some show, some TV. I I mentioned earlier, we've been watching Watchmen. Um, We're kind of, we're halfway through it. Um, but yeah, enjoying that. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, have you we, got to episode eight yet? No. Okay. <laughs> should should I? Yeah. Get to God walks eight. into a bar is one of the all time great hours of television. Wow. <laughs> wow. All right. Um, cool. Uh, but yeah, watching movies. I just, I think the last movie I watched, I was, um, I rewatched like. Probably my first favorite movie, as far as I can remember, um, The Abyss. Oh wow! Uh, awesome. I loved that movie as a as a kid, and I, I've seen it. You know, I probably saw it a few years ago, four years ago or so. But man, I love that movie. It is it is a wild ride. Um, so interesting. Um, but yeah, and then just yeah, just a, a ton of movies and. Uh, I've been doing my, I've been going back and watching a bunch of classics that I just are kind of on my, um, my list have been on my list for decades now. Um, so I watched like gone with the wind and, um, I can't remember movies without uh letterboxd at this point. I'm, <laughs> uh, <laughs> is your, is your boiled mic stand in the shot? Oh, it. Almost is. Um, yeah, I've been uh, doing going up to my parents' house and doing some woodworking. Um, so I, I made a little uh, little mic stand. That's awesome. Out of, uh, you guys can't see it, but I'm, I'm showing it on, on the camera. Sweet. Um, yeah, it was pretty fun. Been meaning to do that for like since we started this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I also watched um, Das Boot. I've been wanting to watch for forever and um, Heat, Bullet, um, Oh man, Heat Robocop. is so good. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah. yeah. I want to see Robocop. Um, been taking out movies left and right. That's crossing awesome. Crossing off my list. That is much more productive than I've been movies wise. <laughs> um, I've totally moved over to gaming like become a total gaming hermit like I did when I was 19 years old and been playing Destiny 2 nonstop all day, every day. Dude, I hear you. I, so, I've i been kind of doing the same thing. Grind. Yeah, I got to get on that grind. Got to get my mm-hmm. dailies every <laughs> single day or I'll fall behind. I can't miss it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I so, guess I've been joining you with that too. Yeah. Um, yeah. But me on my own times 10 beyond what we've been doing together. <laughs> so these four, these four movies have been a really good excuse to get me back to turn these on. Um, but with that, Derek, what have you been up to for quarantine? Yeah, I mean, I think I kind of mirror you, Brandon. I've been mostly just playing games. Um, 
you know, my son keeps me pretty busy most of the day. So it's, it's not easy to just go watch a movie. Yeah. Uh, you kind of have to like, I could watch movies on my phone, uh, but I'm not gonna be able to sit down and watch a movie. David Lynch is so mad at you um, right now. <laughs> yeah, I know. Get it's like, real, I can't, Derek. <laughs> I gotta be careful what I put on the screen now because, you know, he's affected by that. And so it's like outside of comedies that are directed towards children, <laughs> uh, he's not, he's not going to let me sit and watch a movie. Totally. You know? Yeah. So I got to be okay with not watching it, just listening to it or, um, yeah. So mostly just, you know, some TV shows. Uh, I finally finished Fargo season three. Uh, and I loved it, loved it, loved it. That show is so freaking good. I just, that show, like, it just, like, checks all boxes that I'd ever, like, want in a show. Like, just across their seasons, they're just so creative and so, like, stylized and so, like, artistic and so fun and, like, action-packed and funny and serious and like, you know, they just have everything in those shows. I love yeah. them so much. Yeah. Me too. Um, yeah, I've been playing a lot of Valorant, which is Riot Games new shooter. Second that they're coming game out with. in 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> and it's really, really fun. I've just been playing that a ton. That's pretty much, that's mostly what I play. A little bit of Sea of Thieves, which is also, also like one of the funnest hangout games if you guys ever wanted to like play something together besides like that's not as intense maybe as destiny yeah, it's like just down. this beautiful game and you're just pirates sailing the ocean you can go hunt for treasure <laughs> that sounds awesome. or you can just hang out or you can you know attack people whatever you nice. want to do it's really fun totally yeah. cool and uh cow what's been keeping you busy um i've also been like dipping back into video games which i haven't done in like 10 years or something sweet um so mostly just like playing, you know, Zelda with my kids on our old Wii, a couple of like little indie games off of Steam, like this this game called Baba Is You, which is this uh Oh yeah. It's like this puzzle game where you change the rules of the game to play. Um mm. but in terms of movies, like <laughs> well, what's Zelda game real quick? Um, on your Wii. Uh Twilight? Twilight Link Princess? to the Past? No, it's the like the flying one. Skyward Sword. There we go. Oh. Um, it, it was like a financial failure. I don't think anyone really played it. Uh, but I got <laughs> it as a gift, and I've been playing through it with my kids, and it's the first Zelda game they've ever experienced, and it's that's been a blast. And, uh, nice. Yeah, and then in terms of movies, also oh, a lot I of like kids' game. movies, because uh, I also I have three kids, and so you know we, we've been watching stuff together. Um the other night we watched 101 Dalmatians showed that to them for the first time and they like <laughs> lost their minds they absolutely loved it and <laughs> so we watched that for like Friday night movie and then Saturday morning they were like can we watch that puppy movie again for Saturday morning cartoons <laughs> I was like yeah alright <laughs> um, but in terms of like movie projects um, I've been working through the, the films of uh, Kelly Richart I don't know if I'm saying her name mm. right. And I know like that her? one of you worked on those movies. So mm -hmm. <laughs> I wanted to bring that up. Yeah. Which one, Sean? I, wa I worked on Night Moves. Night Moves, yeah. Oh, okay. That's awesome, man. Have you gotten to that one? First Cow, right? Yes, no, that hasn't come out yet. Else. Okay. Um, mm. 
or at least, you know, not to me. I think it might have come out at festivals during the before times, right. but, um, right. So yeah, you, you worked on night moves. I just wanted to like ask you about that briefly. Cause, cause I vaguely knew that was true. Um, but I've, I've watched all the rest of her movies and then found that out and I was like, Oh, that's cool. Like, do you, do you have any interesting stories from working on that movie um, or I have a few, uh, <laughs> let, me, let me grab a bottle of whiskey real quick. Uh, uh, no, it was it was fine. It was a typical indie movie. We worked our fucking asses off. Yeah. Um, one night, so like the all that boats. Oh wait, so have you seen the movie? Yeah, I've seen I've seen everything okay. she's made now except for Certain Women and uh, okay. First Cow. Yeah, um, uh, all the, the only one I have seen. Yeah. So all the boat stuff. Uh, the nighttime boat stuff yeah. was actually shot out on a lake. I don't uh-huh. know if you could tell that from from the movie, um, but yeah. So we like we rigged a boat, um, and actually, I believe that the rig got into American Cinematographer magazine. Yeah, um, as a little little piece, but um, like the the setup you guys had to build to film in that canoe and all that. Yeah, so we built built a light rig on top of the boat um, so that the boat could actually go out and. Um, and so they could shoot. Uh, but it, when we were rigging it, it like, it was a, a crazy, uh, storm rainstorm that oh, wow. like is the, I think it's the only time I've been rained out of a shoot oh, wow. before. Like they, they, act, it was raining so hard and so crazy that they, they shut it down. Um, Whoa. but yeah, it was a, that was a wild night. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we shot a, a lot of on location stuff, like way out in the middle of nowhere in Southern Oregon. That's, that's actually what I was going to say. I was like, I, I feel mm-hmm. like a lot of her movies and that one definitely specifically because of the water stuff seems like it would be kind of brutal shoots just like mm-hmm. that one, you know, a lot of it is set sort of out in the, this compound where there's just like yurts and not much else. And mm-hmm. like, yeah, it seems like it'd be kind of like pretty pretty chilly and wet a lot of the time yeah it was uh that was a shoot where we would pretty much every day we would wear the exact same thing mm-hmm. because it was just you know every like several layers of clothes and then full-on rain gear, rain gear head to toe yeah and you would just leave your hotel in that and then come <laughs> back at night in that and then just like you were so muddy that you would just step into the shower uh, <laughs> with, with your full rain gear on before you took it off. Oh, wow. That's <clears throat> nuts. Yeah. Well, if it, if it helps, um, I really like that movie. So you nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Sean. Yeah. You did yeah. good work. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, it's a cool project. Um, she's becoming pretty infamous as a director. Everything mm-hmm. she has is so critically acclaimed. Yeah. 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 Just in general, real briefly to talk about her, her movies. Like I kind of went in blind. I just heard there was a new one coming out and I was like, oh, I've like kind of heard about these for a, a long time. And, uh, I've, I've really enjoyed everyone. Um, a lot of them feel like extremely low key thrillers, um, and very sort of slow and silent and empathetic and, uh, they just allow you to be with these characters. And sometimes, you know, they're going through really hard things like night moves is uh, a pretty intense story, but it's, it's still presented in this sort of like slow character driven way that I really loved. Um, 
And then some of them, like Old Joy, is just about two guys hanging out. Um, and it's about more than that, but it's... Um, I, I find all of her movies to be very beautiful, and her use of um, silence and stillness to just be amazing even like it's kind of funny to like watch these movies during quarantine where everything is already silent and still and it it still brings this uh a level of beauty and profundity to just being with other people and feeling how they feel um i just really appreciate her movies that i've seen so far and i'm excited i know like certain women is sort of this one that blew up a little bit um Mm -hmm. And that's the, like the one that I haven't seen yet, so I can't speak to it all. But besides that, do you have a besides certain women? Do you have like one you'd recommend people start with? Um, I, I think something. I think Wendy and Lucy, um, mm-hmm. which is the story of this. Uh, Michelle Williams plays this person who is semi-homeless or like sort of moving through a city trying to get to Alaska um, with her dog. And it's just about them sort of trying to make it through this city and move on to the next place. And uh, it's just a a really beautiful and, again, empathetic movie that I I couldn't, like, recommend highly enough. It's it's so good. So. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Definitely need to work backwards at some point as well. Yeah. Well, cool. All right. So caught up with everybody. And let's dig into the meat of this episode. So I think we're going to start with Derek's choice, uh, Near Dark. So Derek, why did you force us to watch this movie? <laughs> <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I, yeah, so I knew, so Near Dark is directed by Catherine Bigelow. It's her second movie. I think it's her first one that she's the sole credited director on. Uh, it's from 1987. It's a horror Western. It just seems like a, I know that we all like, Catherine Bigelow. Um, she's a legendary director at this point. And just to see like kind of one of those early movies, uh, I thought would be fun. And I, I heard about this, um, I want to say like James Gunn was tweeting a bunch about it on, or Instagramming about it. Um, cause it's one of the movies he has like a near dark, uh, Halloween party every year <laughs> and they watch that movie. And everyone like dresses up, you know, it's like a Halloween party. And I just, and I'd never heard of it before. So I looked it up and I was like, God, that sounds great. And it has pretty good reviews. So, um, I thought it'd be fun movie for us all to, to watch. And it's, it's always fun to see, you know, early films by, um, you know, big time directors. Mm -hmm. So, uh, that's why I chose it. And, uh, and what did you think? Uh, I thought it was pretty good. (laughs) Um, I'll read the synopsis real quick. It's uh, cowboy Caleb Colton meets gorgeous May at a bar and the two have an immediate attraction. But when May turns out to be a vampire and bites Caleb in the neck, their relationship gets complicated. Uh, So what I liked about the movie is that it was it was fun. So first and foremost, it was a fun, like kind of, I don't know how much of a horror it really felt like, but, um, it had, you know, it was a unique take, unique take on vampires. Haven't really seen a vampire Western, 
like that, I guess. I'm kind of thinking of like John Carpenter's vampires. I know some people consider a Western or like, um, um, the, what the hell, the Robert Rodriguez vampire movie. Dust Till Dawn. Dust Till Dawn. I don't know if you consider those Western, but this feels more legitimate. You know, it's, it's cowboys. Yeah, it's definitely playing that those are vampires, tropes a little so. more directly. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, that's just fun. Uh, you got eccentric Bill Paxton, um, <laughs> uh, you got a, uh, you got a semi truck running over the villain. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. It was just, it had a handful of fun things that I, I did like about it and it was enjoyable from start to finish. I think it looked pretty good. Um, there was a couple really good shots that I thought were just like constructed in really cool ways. There's yeah. one towards the beginning where he's, uh, right after he gets bit and he's like trying to get home and he's crawling across the field and you see like the van or like the, the RV Winnebago the RV like yeah flying down the side road like beside yeah. him it was just that whole scene I thought it was really intense mm-hmm. it's like the family sees that he's coming and they see that thing coming and it's like it's kind of the big inciting incident for the whole movie yeah. but um I thought there's a handful of things like that that were really well constructed. And um, I like the bar scene a lot. Yeah. Uh, where they kind of mm-hmm. take over that bar. Yeah, that's a horror scene. Yeah. It's like a, yeah, for a sure. horror movie oh, scene bloody. from the perspective of the of like the bad guy, the monsters. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's that's probably the key to why this movie doesn't fully feel like a scary movie to me is because our perspective is from the bad guys mm-hmm. like doing the scary thing yeah so. okay so here's here's my thing with this movie i i also think it's it was a blast i'd never seen it before um i had such a good time with it um i think it would i think it would land better um if we all didn't go into it knowing it was a vampire movie which is weird because i know that's kind of the pitch is like mm. oh it's this like you know, country Western vampire movie. But, um, I think the problem is like, we all go into it and like, Oh man, vampires are happening. Oh, here's, <laughs> Oh, she's a vampire. Cause like, she loves being out at night. Oh, like these guys are creepy vampire guys. They're going to murder people. But in like the universe of its own movie, like of, of how the movie is constructed, it's a great slow burn of like, you don't actually fully, it's it's never fully like explained what's going on and you, you know within the movie it they never really say it yeah ever, and right? and that yeah. bar scene part of why that works so well is that's that's like the the first time you really see them and confirm that like yeah these are scary vampires they eat people every night and it's horrifying mm-hmm. and like but we well, all know that ahead of time because we know this is a vampire movie but in the movie, it, do, it it is set up so well to just sort of lead from one thing to another and like, oh, this weird thing that happens with her. Oh, like, oh, the sun hurts them, blah, blah, blah. And then finally, like that horrific scene is like the descent into madness where you really understand what they're all about. And they really don't even show her fangs either. Yeah. When mm-hmm. he first gets bit. Yeah. And so like even then you're you would kind of still be in the dark of like what's going on. Yeah. Why is he smoking? Yeah, exactly. From his jacket. Um, also, yeah, I mean, I, all those be, smoke effects. Really cool way to watch the movie. All, I just mm. want to say also the, all those smoke effects like anytime someone is like just standing outside and you can see them smoking from being outside. I thought that worked really well. I have no idea how they did that. Um 
like just yeah, <laughs> yeah, just lines just, uh, <laughs> with dry ice. I don't know. I yeah. couldn't figure it out either. Yeah, I thought that thinking. was really fun. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's probably like smoke canisters inside their jackets. Yeah, but like it, it was came out everywhere. So it was like even seemed like it was in their pants or yeah, yeah, yeah. It worked really well. <laughs> pretty cool. The, I liked. They had like some unique effects that I haven't seen anyone do with like, especially attributed to vampires, which is like how freaking dirty uh-huh. they yeah. were. Yeah. Like that was almost part of like becoming a vampire is you're like this nasty, like just covered, like caked in dirt and like all the blood, yeah. <laughs> and, like especially towards the end when people start, you know, it gets more violent. Mm-hmm. It's like dirty blood. It's all black yeah. and like. Yeah, you know, even their faces like the, are all freaking the movie poster is like a perfect example of uh, Bill Paxton, yeah. like just looks mutilated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's like his yeah. face, their faces get burnt severely and crispy and then it mm-hmm. doesn't show it healing. But like the ash from their previously dead skin is like mm-hmm. still all yeah. over their face. Like I, was, yeah. I think that's what they were going for. It's just yeah. really dark. It was really great. Yeah, I, yeah, I think all Bill the, Paxton in particular, like. I, I enjoyed the whole movie. I, I, you know, the, the main couple is, is totally fine. I think Lance Henriksen is, is really fun. Uh, but I feel like mm-hmm. Bill Paxton almost derails the movie because of how great he is <laughs> and how much fun he's having. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, like when it, you know, it's sort of it's going full Nick cage. Yeah. Like he's just ways. going nuts and he's <laughs> so grimy and dirty. <laughs> and by the, by the end of the movie, yeah. you know, he's like covered it in blood and burnt and all the other characters mm-hmm. sort of like clean themselves up eventually. And I don't know if he ever does throughout the whole movie. Like he just gets no. grosser and grosser and doesn't care. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. it just, yeah, it's, he's, he's such a fun character. And when he, you know, like he doesn't last throughout the whole movie, and when he exits the movie, I was kind of surprised. I was like, oh, yeah, okay, I guess technically Lance Henriksen is a bigger bad guy, maybe. Mm. But it, yeah. it, it kind of, you know, it's it's a little underwhelming yeah. that Bill Paxton goes first because he's so, like, he's like they, a complete nihilist monster in this whole movie. And mm. uh, Yeah, it's kind of a weird structure for the movie because I kind of felt like even after all that, that Bill Paxton was still the main antagonist. Yeah, same. So, like, that was the end of the main antagonist. Yeah. But then there was just, like, this, you know, a couple other people that still had... Wrapped up the couple loose ends. Yeah. Right, you know? yeah. Yeah. Which is a unique kind of way to mm-hmm. tell it. I don't know if that was intentional or if maybe that was a screw-up in, like, the design of the story. I think but, I think Bill Paxton uh, just so good that he, he kind of accidentally he just, yeah, stole just, the, the spotlight for a while there. Was he, mm-hmm. a, was he a star by this point? This Late was... 80s, he, he and Lance Henriksen had just been in Aliens together. But, okay, so this is... But in Aliens, he's also right kind of a side character who also kind of steals the mm-hmm. spotlight, so... Yeah. So I think he was probably just like kind of a hot actor just because of aliens, yeah. maybe just like right after that, but not a big. Yeah. Cause he probably got way bigger in the nineties. I'm thinking, but either way, yeah, he totally like steals the show just to wrap up what I wanted to say about the movie real quick yep. is, um, I think it's, it's fun just overall. It was a, it was a fun movie and I think it's pretty well made. Um, there are like in that, like how we were kind of talking about how the main villain kind of feels like he gets killed before the movie's over. So it's kind of has like some weird pacing issues, I think. And, um, 
some stuff that's just a product of its time. Um, I feel like the main girl characters like incredibly underwritten. She's like totally. barely a character. And uh, our main character is kind of a sleaze bag. I feel like. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, but yeah, he does have an arc of some sort. I think he does have some heroic attributes by the end of the movie. I think like what you said, if we didn't know this was a vampire movie, it would kind of change how I viewed everything because I know you think he's going to have to kill someone eventually. Right. Or, or I guess knowing that he, since we know how vampires work, our whole thing is like, he's going to have to kill someone eventually because he's a vampire. Mm -hmm. We all know that you can't undo being a vampire. Yeah, I kind of so thought it, that it, it had a little bit of a cop out in the end. Totally. Because like the whole idea of the vampires that once you're a vampire, you're a vampire for all eternity and you have to kill. You know, you've you've sold your soul to the devil and and there's no going back from that. But it kinda and, and I think that was what was what made the movie so interesting. Like he has to kill someone eventually. Like the, that was kind of, I feel like a promise that the movie made to us and totally mm-hmm. early on. And, and it just kind of, they discovered a way to, to not, have yeah, to, to, fulfill to it. not be a vampire. anymore. <laughs> yeah. Like it, so it does. Like, yeah. I, I totally yeah. agree. Cause it does present, you know, like it pre- pre- presents this moral quandary between, you know, like, are you going to let yourself die or are you going to kill somebody else? Like, and mm-hmm. that's a really interesting and fun idea for a story. And then, yeah, the fact that it's sort of like, ah, his dad switched his blood out and he's fine now. It's just like, <laughs> oh, okay, well, I wish someone yeah. did make a movie about that fun idea you had. Mm-hmm. I mean, not that yeah. there hasn't been lots of other vampire movies that have played with those ideas. Totally. Uh, yeah, I, I really like the movie overall, though. Um, yeah, the, another yeah, another scene well. I wanted to shout out uh, just because it was, it was something that I thought was a brilliant idea that I'd never seen before, and was an incredible like movie moment is when they are trapped in that bungalow and all the sheriffs are like shooting through the walls, yeah. and every time a gun mm-hmm. goes off, there's a new hole with sunlight mm-hmm. coming through and burning the vampires. Yeah. That was incredible. Yeah, was like, so good, yeah. Really good setup yeah. and payoff with the script yeah. there, yeah. building up to that. Yeah, all um, those visual effects were great yeah. throughout the yeah. entire I, movie. I thought the fire visual effect at the end, like the compositing there. With the little boy. So mm-hmm. seamless. Yeah, with the boy's uh-huh. face. I like yeah. stood up and looked so closely <laughs> at that because I was like, how... Oh, it's like a layover flame, but it's so seamless. No, they. Uh-huh. I, I'm pretty sure CGI, they just set like, fire to a child for that scene. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I was like looking for that goopy material mm-hmm. on his face, but I was like, no, no, it's not there. So it must yeah. be something else. Yeah, oh, it was really good. So what um, you think? How do you say they did it? I thought it was like some really early like CGI type of work or something. I would maybe. Yeah, I was thinking I it was like some so. weird compositing, but I don't really know what that I think it was probably means, yeah. like that mirror effect where it's it's like a piece of glass that is, you know, it, it the image passes through. So the, the image of the boy passes through the glass, but then the mm. glass is also reflecting the fire that's, that's off screen. Pretty old school trick. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Nice. One thing that I could not believe they didn't do in such a missed opportunity was the final shot. How did they not go out in the sun and have that? Beam? Oh yeah. 
the final shot of the movie. <laughs> totally. Instead, there he's like, "Let's go outside," and then it just pauses on them <laughs> and fades oh, yeah. out. And I'm like, "How the music should swell? That's right. Sh- she should step yeah. out in the sunlight for the first time in her life." Yeah, yeah. And that should be the, the climax. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, it's such a missed opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Um, but overall, just to like say what my like big opinion is, I guess is I think this is. Like, not a perfect movie in any way, but it's so clear that, like, as Catherine Bigelow's first, like, feature film of hers, mm. um, I guess that she has total ownership over, it's, like, absolutely clear that she has so much talent yeah. mm-hmm. and that she's going to be an incredible director as she matures more or gets better scripts. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's just, like, really cool to see where she starts. Totally. Yeah, and definitely. then, you know, two and a half or three decades later, she's uh, winning Academy Awards. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, d- I had one last thought that I wanted to put in as the Nick replacement for this episode, which is uh, mm-hmm. another thing I really liked about this movie is it definitely is, is sort of wearing the clothes of a, a Western, uh, you know, all the cowboys and, you know, sort of this high noon showdown that happens. And uh, but I think it also borrows a lot from noir in a lot of interesting ways, both like visually and thematically. Uh, you know, there's this femme fatale, there's this sort of morally compromised hero, um, just amazing work with like light and shadows, um, all throughout the movie. Um, so yeah, just wanted to, to, you know, be, be the Nick and be, yeah, shout out the film noir. Talk about film noir for a minute. So, uh, nice. All right, guys. So let's move on to our second film, um, which is Moonstruck. And let's take a moment to watch Nick Moffat's two-minute review of it. Here we go. Hi, guys. It's me, Nick Moffat. I can't be there recording the podcast with you guys today because I'm on paternity leave. It's amazing. I love my new baby. love my family. Um, I just wanted to call and say thank you to Cal for filling in for me this week. I'm happy that you're there. Um, I also wanted to talk real quick about Moonstruck and give you my quick thoughts on why I chose for it to be the movie for you guys to watch this week. Uh, I first saw Moonstruck in 2017 and since then I've seen it four times and each time I've liked it more. I just am growing, it's growing to be one of my favorite, uh, not just romance, not just rom-coms, but just one of my favorite movies. Like I just, it's just so uniquely funny and, uh, the romance in it is, just pure passion and it feels real to me it's not like trying to do a commentary on romance or do anything like that like with a lot of other rom-coms i like but it's it's just beautiful people that feel real falling in love in in just a unique way um i love how this movie uh, has like a layer of like mystical like they believe in luck and they talk about fate a lot and there's this le- there's this layer of like they're meant to be together and it explores it that concept from like a distance it doesn't go too far into it but it hints at it and that's just what i love about this movie it's like a purely unique thing it's crazy ridiculous in its humor it's crazy ridiculous in how the romance unfolds but it's still sweet and lovely at its core um so i don't know i hope you guys loved it i hope you guys liked it it's to me like new york city and film is especially in the 80s is like awesome and um also nick cage the introduction of his character is one of the best introductions of any character of all time uh the unsung hero in that scene is chrissy the the girl who like works upstairs who's in love with him but won't tell him because he can't ever love anyone ever again 
Uh, just how he's screaming at her. Chrissy, grab the big knife. I'm going to slit my throat. I won't do it. I won't do it. Uh, just, uh, just such an amazing scene. And uh, I don't know. I just love it so much. I'm rambling here about Moonstruck. I wish I could be there to talk further about it with you guys. But I hope that you enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, I'll talk to you all soon. Uh, thanks a lot. <laughs> We're back. That was Nick's review of Moonstruck, his movie that he selected for us to watch. Um, I'm excited to talk about it, but Cal, on Nick's behalf, uh, why don't you kick us off? What did you, what do you think of Moonstruck? Uh, I think it's great also. Um, yeah, I, part of the reason I like it is definitely because of how much Nick likes it. Um, <laughs> he, uh, yeah, I, I, I feel like it was a great pick from him, uh, because he like, okay, this movie is completely bananas, it's it's mm-hmm. it's just like at a 100% all the time like everyone is always like feeling their emotions so powerfully that they just have to yell no matter what the emotion is like anger happiness confusion <laughs> like everyone is just always super intense about everything uh, and I feel like that's that's a pretty strong Nick Moffat vibe you know like when he likes something then he like loves to tell people about it and shout about it and reenact scenes from it. And uh, that was my first experience with, <laughs> with Moonstruck was Nick telling me about it at work and reenacting large portions of it. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's great. Um, I mean, yeah, the, the, the premise of this movie, if you uh, aren't aware, it's just all about uh, New York Italians uh, starring Cher, who... forces a guy to get engaged to her a little bit. Um, but she's not really sure if, uh, that she doesn't necessarily love. Yeah. (laughs) But, but it's a good thing. Yeah. She wants to marry him because she doesn't love him because (laughs) her mom tells her her previous, uh, the, the previous love of her life, uh, was cursed, was, (laughs) was cursed. And so she feels like her being in love with someone will make them die. And, uh, the brother is this weird uh, sort of cowardly guy who uh, wants to get his brother's blessing for his marriage. Um, and so he sends Cher to get the brother's blessing. And the brother is Nick Cage. And the Nick Cage character refuses to bless this uh, engagement because he's so angry at his brother. Because one time his brother came and talked to Nick Cage while Nick Cage was working at the bakery where he, uh, that he, he owns and Nick Cage accidentally got his hand caught in a bread slicer. And he, he blames his brother for this. And he goes on this long emotional rant about how he hopes that his brother is never happy because, because Nick Cage accidentally sliced his own hand off. <laughs> But like in the, like talking about it makes it seem silly, but in the moment, like it is still insane and like hilarious, but also it's not being played for a laugh. It's just 100% right up the middle. Like this is just how he feels and he's yelling about it. And, uh, and yeah, and it kind of goes from there and, and share Nick Cage sort of hit it off slash yell at each other about their weird superstitious <laughs> ideas about love. <laughs> I somehow didn't know Nick Cage was in this film. Yeah. He's, and I guess I didn't either. Tell he popped in is so amazing. Oh man. I, I couldn't, I couldn't believe like I didn't read that online first that, <sighs> 
he was going to have that big of a Nick Cage moment. Oh yeah, like that's a, that's an all time <laughs> yeah, Nick saw Cage Nick moment. Kind of also try to reenact it on the on the video he just sent in. Yeah, which made me start uh, cracking up while he was doing yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, ah, oh, it's so good. Um, and uh, yeah. yeah, and it, so it just, it just plays it. It just plays like this sort of alternate universe where. Like right. no one is no one is joking about any of this stuff, but everything is just super heightened and overwhelming. And uh, you know, at another point, like Nick Cage just like <laughs> is is yelling at Cher about something, and then throws a table across the room that's covered in like food that she just made for him. And then they like start making out. You know, it's just uh-huh. like medium rare steak. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's um <laughs> yeah it's it's just so yeah, i love i think the writer the writers are in on it but the characters like you're saying are treating it so seriously mm-hmm. in a perfect way yeah um i i love the gravity that this movie like makes totally for each of its characters and scenes like the 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 moon scene with the side characters the best friends yeah of the family yeah when they're like in their like bedroom and he goes to see the moon that he saw like when he was a kid or, and just like looks outside and the music swells, like it's really beautiful, yeah. and, like kind of powerful, but you don't like, it's in this weird, hilarious movie. Yeah. Um, but I just like kind of how big the movie's able to make these like emotions for these characters. Totally. Yeah. I, I agree 100%. Um, also, I, uh, this is like a little bit of a side conversation, but um, it was the conditions under which I saw it originally with Nick. I actually rewatched it this morning just to like refresh. Uh, but when I saw it with Nick um, a few weeks ago, uh, it, again, it was because our coworker had won this bet, this Oscar bet, and she actually prepared like all of the food from the movie you know like so she had like Hmm. this really good bread she made medium rare steak and uh i think i think whiskey because he drinks whiskey in that same scene and uh a couple of other like small treats i'm i'm not even doing it justice but she had like put all this awesome specifically themed party yeah and uh (laughs) so that was that was something i sort of wanted to ask is that something that you've ever done like have uh like movie parties where the food is related because uh, I really enjoyed that that time that uh, we did that for Moonstruck but also there's just a lot of great food in Moonstruck so Game of Thrones your guys' house yeah. got me into drinking wine mm-hmm. yeah Oh, interesting. Or yes, drinking coffee during Twin we, Peaks. Yeah, well, I was going to say, we kind of did the yeah, donuts and coffee club. and pie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's super good. I used to kind of do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's really fun. But yeah, Game of Thrones, too. I've done that at a few parties here in New York. Um, mm. But uh, yeah. Okay, so Sean, what did you think of Instruct? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, there, <laughs> I. Uh, I, I, w- I had a hard time with the Nicolas Cage seat. Like, it totally <laughs> threw me off guard. Um, so I, it, it almost lost me. Um, but it really, it definitely pulled it back. Um, and th- I think the thing I loved most about the movie was the family, the whole family dynamic. Mm-hmm. Like, especially in the end, like the, the kind of final scene where the, the whole family's together and everyone comes over and... And like her brother, the uh, uh, her fiance shows up. Nicholas Cage's brother shows up, and like <laughs> it's just totally insane. And um, 
yeah, every every person in that movie is is their own completely unique and fascinating character. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I loved all the like love triangles and and uh, you know they go to the share uh, and uh, Nicholas Cage go to the opera and meet their dad who's there with his um, uh, a girl he's dating behind his wife's back and, and yeah, there's, yeah. Uh, yeah, that that was a really great, her, her like thing that night as well. That was going Mm. on with that previous character that has his whole backstory of like women or his students from college that he hooks up with. I mean, like, yeah, they're all the side characters just like, yeah, really get to shine and Mm -hmm. you really like feel like, you know, who they are yeah Yeah, another thing that i thought was really interesting about it just in the context of romantic comedies like it it does sort of have this like this tone of a farce or like a screwball comedy where everyone has all these secrets and like going behind each other's back all these different threads that seem like eventually they are going to like collide and explode and instead in that end scene where everyone's like eating together they all collide, but it just sort of coalesces into this this new era of peace in this family instead, which I thought was uh-huh. really funny. Like it doesn't, like no one in at yeah, the end of the day is very say, I antagonistic love you to each other in Italian. Yeah, <laughs> which was kind of a really beautiful moment. Yeah, and uh, I I just really liked like you know it's not interested in making things hard for any of these characters. Like you've built up mm-hmm. so much goodwill for them and their weird complex situations that when everything comes to a head, it's just sort of like, it's okay. Everything will be all right. You know, we'll figure mm-hmm. it out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah so, I, so Cher Dar- was absolutely fantastic too. Yeah. She killed it. She won an Oscar for this movie. Yeah. Oh, did she? Really? Holy shit. I think yeah, so. This was her best, best actress winning movie. Mm-hmm. She really holds it together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But Derek, what did you think of Moonstruck? Yeah. I mean, I echo all the same things you guys said, but this is, it's one of those movies that has always been, um, I've always seen it as like one of the great rom-coms mm-hmm. and, um, never, never seen it obviously, but I, I've seen like the Nick Cage, I've lost my hands <laughs> like multiple times. Oh. Um, and also I, so there's like three like things that never, I didn't, I don't know. They're like three memories I have about this movie and I didn't know that they were this movie. So it was the Nicolas Cage scene. Um, sorry, Phoenix is freaking out out there. Uh, the Nicolas Cage scene. And then also I remember back when um, old VHS days, there used to be like certain production companies would put out um, kind of like a montage of like their greatest hits. Like as like a trailer mm. before the movie you're watching. I don't know if you guys remember yeah, those yeah, kind yeah, of things, but I remember the share slapping, going <laughs> snap out of it. Uh-huh. I remember that from there. I never knew it was yeah. part of this movie, so it's just funny. Like as it was, I was like, oh, I wonder when that's going to happen in this movie. Because once it, <laughs> once the movie started unfolding, I was like, oh, that's this movie. I remember that really clearly. Mm. Uh, so it was just really fun to have like those things linked to this movie. Yeah. Um, after having them in my head for so long. Totally. Um, but yeah, Cher was great. Everyone was great. Kind of like how you were saying with how everything collides at the end of the movie. I like that this movie kind of had its own, um, 
like it just moves things unfold differently than you expect them to. Yeah. And uh, I guess I kind of had some expectations just because I've always known it as like a great rom-com. It's like with Harry Met Sally and Moonstruck. And I've always seen like these, you know, older movies that are just in like a different tier and people just consider him some of the best of that genre. Uh, but it's nice to see like a movie that is so creative with telling a story that's kind of been told before. Like those, you know, those totally, it's just nice to see. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Special. Yeah. It was good. All right. Well, well said, Derek. Um, we got two movies to get to still. Let's continue on. Um, so that was Nick's pick of the film Moonstruck. Hope you all get to see it. And let's move on to Sean's big choice of <clears throat> high and low. Go ahead, Sean. Yeah. Um, I've been wanting you guys to watch this movie for a while now. Um, <clears throat> I bring it up just about every chance I get. <laughs> uh, I, like I said earlier, I just haven't uh, won any of our contests to get you guys to actually watch it. <laughs> so I'm really glad uh, we got this opportunity in quarantine for me to share this movie with you guys. Um, but yeah, so High and Low is a Akira Kurosawa movie. Uh, I watched when I was doing my... Uh, Kurosawa uh, anthology um, starring Toshiro Mifune um, <clears throat> and the tagline IMDb tagline is an executive of a shoe company becomes a victim of extortion when his chauffeur's son is kidnapped and held for ransom um, so yeah the movie starts out with um, with a, a phone call from someone who claims that they kidnapped Toshiro Mifune's son and uh, and then shortly after that, they find out that it wasn't his son that he kidnapped. It was his chauffeur's son. So now he has to make that decision of he, he would have saved his own son by paying the $30 million ransom. But would he pay for his poor uh, lower class uh, chauffeur's son? Um, and it brings up all kinds of really interesting um you know, morality questions. And, um, yeah, I think this movie has so much to say, uh, and so many interesting, uh, kind of scenarios and questions that it brings up, uh, that it asks about society. Um, I think also this movie is just so well directed. Um, I would, <laughs> I, ever since I watched it, I would uh, occasionally just send you guys pictures of just screenshots from this movie <laughs> um, of all the characters in like, uh, um, you, you know, uh, in the shot and, and just say from the way this shot is blocked, what can you tell about each individual character just from the, the imagery? Despondently um, and, staring off screen while somebody yeah. else is monologuing. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And like everyone's everyone's looking off in different directions and like uh -huh. where they are in relation to the other characters says so much about their character and, and what they're going through and what they're thinking about. Yeah. Um, I think this is just such an intense movie. Um, it, uh, it, it's, um, and it, and it goes through like three very distinct, um, kind of acts 
um, where like the first act is all about that question. Um, the second act is all about the police investigation. And then the third act is, is all about, um, you know, catching him and, and, and like, it's like an extended, like not chase sequence, but, um, cat and mouse, but yeah, it's yeah. Cat and mouse type thing. Um, and I think the way that that, that the movie is structured is so unique and, um, it really like, like pushes the movie forward constantly. It never dwells too long on any individual thing. And it's just like such a, not, not necessarily a rapid pace because I think it also takes its time with a lot of these questions and a lot of the character stuff. But, um, yeah, I just, I, I love the movie. I love the visuals. Um, and I love the performances, uh yeah so i and i am really excited to see what you guys thought about this movie so derek um you saw this earliest in the month i think you tackled this right away once you got the assignment yes this was my introduction to kurosawa i don't think i've seen any other wow that's awesome um yeah so i don't know like where he and i'm so like like I just don't know a whole lot about him so um, it's interesting I just know he's one of those legendary directors but I don't know where he stands in like the place of film like was he pre-Hitchcock or like around the so same he time started um, he, he really started in the late 40s um, but but like kind of took off in the early 50s um, especially with his samurai flicks I think like mm. in the forties, it was illegal to, to make samurai movies. Um, uh, but once that, that ban was lifted, uh, he, he really started off his career with, um, Rashomon, I believe it was his first, uh, uh, samurai flick. Uh, and that one's like the, that one's the famous one about the, there was a, a murder in the forest and a king is trying to figure out who's responsible. And so the story is told from four different perspectives, um, each telling the story differently. Um, and it's all kind of about how do you decipher the truth? Um, but yeah, he's most famous for those samurai flicks from the fifties and, um, like heavily influenced the Western genre, uh, oh, samurai films yeah like um, yeah he has plenty it, of like crime dramas and and he has a few noirs and um, i know he has a really big library mm-hmm. of movies he's made right yeah like yeah yeah because there, there's, oh, there's ahead, a couple of, uh, like there's a pretty straight line from a few of his movies to things that were turned into american classics um mm-hmm. like he has a pair of of samurai movies with the same uh, main actor uh, Yojimbo and Sanjuro, which are like, those are like the man with no name movies. Like those are the originals. Yeah. I mean, uh, a, a fistful of dollars is literally a direct rip off yeah. Western adaptation of, uh, Yojimbo and which is actually the same main actor. It's Toshiro Mifune from this one. And Toshiro yeah. Mifune is pretty much in every Kurosawa movie. Yeah. And the, the other big one I wanted to, to shout out is uh, a hidden fortress, which mm-hmm. is also with Toshiro Mifune. Um, which is, uh, it's basically Star Wars and it's, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> e- even down to like the, the main characters of Hidden Fortress are 
basically like C-3PO and R2-D2 analogs. Like they're these little nobody guys who are trapped in this bigger war <laughs> about trying to find this secret hidden base and all this stuff. So, nice. so yeah, Kurosawa is like, he's great. And also like, even if you haven't seen a Kurosawa movie, you've definitely seen a Kurosawa movie because he's everywhere right. in American cinema. So, yep. right. But, uh, specific, since this is the only movie I've seen by him, um, I can see a lot of like the fundamentals, like a lot of the roots that this movie probably spawned in a lot of filmmakers today that we love. Um, like I feel like this movie is a interesting blend of like Zodiac and Parasite on a lot of different totally. levels. Yeah. The, the Parasite uh, analogy was like, it's the first time I've seen this since seeing Parasite. And I, I def- that definitely right. occurred to me too. Yeah. And so it's just, it's, it's cool to see, like, it's, it's crazy that I haven't seen anything by this guy and it's cool to see, like, just immediately off of one movie, I can see how many people, like different directors careers were probably heavily influenced by the stuff mm-hmm. he did. Totally. So that's really cool. But as far as the movie goes, um, there's a lot of appreciate obviously with the movie, like you said, Sean, like some of the just still shots in this movie are incredible. Uh, one I couldn't find, I was trying to find it online to share it with you guys, but it's when the villain is like stalking the girl in the heroin oh, den. Yeah. And she's like leaning against the window frame. Mm-hmm. And like in the background, he's like creeping forward with his sunglasses on. And like the, it's just, it's yeah. crazy. Like it looks like a piece, you know, you could frame that shot and just put it on a wall. Yeah. It's a piece of yeah. art. Mm-hmm. And you could talk about and it for like hours. The, the sound of that scene where she's like, the nails scratching on the on the walls and there's yeah. also like uh like ah, oh ah, in the background yeah. as the like heroin addicts are roaming around just yeah. like yeah really stylized audio cues in there yeah mm-hmm. yeah uh, horror movie style mm. oh for sure in the, another scene that just really stood out to me is the train sequence yeah. mm. the shot when they look out the window and they see the person standing with the kid and like how helpless everyone is in that moment. Like that literally gave me chills. Like my, I like got like goosebumps like that's such an eerie image. And like once they, they, that scene is just so good because they all kind of figure out like when it's too late, like what's happening. That they're powerless. Yeah. Yeah, There's nothing they could do. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's just so intense, and yeah, I, I love the whole movie. It was great. There's so many little things to pick out, but um, those are the two things that really, really stood out to me. So that awesome, awesome introduction to Kurosawa. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, that train sequence uh, was one I wanted to bring up too because I also noticed that was the only or first, at least the first time, which is like an hour and twenty minutes into the movie, um, when the camera goes handheld <laughs> and it mm. looks great with him, them like following them running back and forth down the train, you know, getting his coffee to follow the guy back into the phone booth. And the camera's just like right up against their shoulder, moving past passengers and around corners. And uh, it just moves handheld. And it, it just really makes that scene intense. Totally. When everything before the movie is so stagnant and uh, looks planned out. And that scene is just like rough and gritty all of a sudden. Um, yeah. It's really cool. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, Sean, you mentioned it earlier too the like structure of the film I thought was mm-hmm. just like such a interesting writing choice. Cause like mm-hmm. it's a bottle episode for an hour straight and it takes place nearly in real time night and morning, I guess. 
Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you bust out of the house and you kind of don't really come back and you don't really even come back to the father and you only hear about what he's going through, through the detectives, like telling other detectives. Mm -hmm. Um, and he's kind of pushed to the background. Um, and you just really follow the like crime scene investigation aspizodiac aspect of the film. Um, until everything kind of comes together at the end. But, um, that's just like a really interesting writing choice and it was super creative and Mm -hmm. made the movie all that much more unique, splitting it up Mm -hmm. in that way. Yeah. But yeah, I was, I mean, overall, obviously I was pretty blown away. Uh, the visuals are jaw dropping. Um, and then the last thing I wanted to shout out was he totally Steven Spielberg Schindler's listed the red coat with that pink mm-hmm. smoke in color. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Definitely. Um, That's cool. Yeah. Like that was so specific and it's such a st- like Spielberg thing in Schindler's mm-hmm. list that it was cool that he was doing this back in the sixties. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 I will say like all those guys, uh, um, George Lucas and Steven Spielberg, all those guys were heavily influenced by Kurosawa. They loved Kurosawa and they actually played a pretty pivotal role in bringing him back later in his career and, and, um, setting him off, uh, for his more, more modern movies. Mm. So yeah, that's cool. That, that very well could have been, uh, kind of an homage to shout out to high and low. Yep. Nice. Uh, so, Cal, anything uh, you want to add to the movie? Uh, yeah, a couple. Of, I mean, just so just because we already had the conversation about Near Dark and it's uh, like rock in a hard place moral quandary that it kind of slides out of um, this. I think part of what makes this great is a it has this great impossible moral quandary of like you you know, someone kidnaps your son. Oh, it's not actually your son. You could probably still pay (laughs) to get the son back, but also maybe the kidnappers will figure out that it's not actually your kid. And maybe you could get away with not paying and it wouldn't be bad. And it's, it's just this horrible, sweaty, pressurized idea. Uh, and then the fact that it doesn't back away from it, it just keeps making it worse. Um, and and then I think in the end, like part of what's fascinating is that I feel like this movie would have been just as interesting either way. Uh, and that like it happened to, you know, he happened to choose to kind of do the right thing and, you know, blow up his own life to to try and help out his chauffeur's kid and his chauffeur. Mm-hmm. Um but I, I think I think that's part of what makes it interesting is it doesn't feel expected, um, and this kind of odd structure of the movie. Um, I think part of what works about it is it feels pretty real. Like it, it, you know, it's it's not playing a template that we've all seen before. Like this isn't taken where like oh yeah, Toshiro Mifune like finds <laughs> out his kid has been stolen and he goes and like shoots forty people and then they live happily ever after. Like mm-hmm. it's a lot more interesting that it's like no, he's he feels pretty powerless from the get go, and then once he makes this moral decision to you know ruin his own life then like, that's it. He's kind of out of the picture. He has nothing to do with it anymore. He did his thing and Mm -hmm. now his life is over. You know, his, his business is ruined his whole career, his whole plan, all that is, is done. And now we're just moving on because he's not actually important to the story because he did the right thing. 
And they still like successfully wrap up his character arc by the end of the movie. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. That, that final scene to me is so fucking brilliant. I just like after, you know, they have the conversation and then the, the door just shuts on to Shira Mifune and it's just a reflection of him. I just like stood up and applauded. (laughs) I was just like, God damn it. It's so fucking good. And, and the Um, fact that it moves on, like when it moves on to the police, you've kind of met some of the police officers and the detectives, um, but it almost moves into this phase of uh, it's, it's like the movie M a little bit where it, it takes a sort of bird's eye view to this investigation and you're tracking all the moving parts, um, but it's mostly in conversations between police. You're not actually seeing them necessarily interview people or find this evidence, but you're just watching them put it all together and figure out all these bits and pieces. And I think part of the reason that works is uh, this is also a pretty like, empathetic and compassionate film with whoever you're watching, even when it gets to the villain, he, he like, he's a scary guy and messed up, but it, it, you're kind of watching from his perspective. Um, and same with the police. Um, and so once, uh, once we sort of lose track of Tashir Mifune, um, it, it, it like I feel like the movie kind of breaks you down where you're expecting one thing or another to happen or you want him to have agency and then when he doesn't then it, it starts in on this phase of watching the police put things together which is not information that we could have put together like we could not have solved this crime like I also don't know what I would have done in Tashira Mofune's place and now it's just up to the police and we're watching them uh solve everything and to try and figure out what's going on. Uh, but it's, it's, uh, it's engaging to watch. And then once they have enough of the picture of like, what is going on with this bad guy, then it kind of switches over to him. And we are no longer like victoriously watching the police hunt this guy down. We're kind of on the bad guy's side as we're watching him sneak around and we figure out what his deal is and why he's doing what he's doing. And, you know, we start to feel more trapped and it's, it's odd that by the end, um, you see, you see him more as a, like a broken, hopeless person rather than a bad guy that we're like stoked to to see get justice. Mm -hmm. Um, which I think is another part of what makes that ending so brilliant is, you know, that's, that's the ending you hope for at the beginning of the movie. And then by the time you get it, you're, it's just like, it's it's heartbreaking rather than like victorious. Mm-hmm. I think the mm-hmm. movie title, I guess, high and low, literally in the film. You know, they keep talking about the house on the hill and stuff, and yeah, uh, they show the uh, kidnappers' inner home and what he comes home to, and him yeah. looking up at the house. I mean, yeah, the movie from the get go kind of shows you it's going to have a little bit of empathy. Yeah, for uh, I don't know. Yeah, that mm-hmm. connection between the yeah. hero and the villain. Yeah, mm-hmm. one one small thing I wanted to shout out. I just noticed it this this time around. Uh, is right at the beginning we see uh, Tashir Mifune when he's in his negotiations or you know his conversation with his company, and he sort of goes and stands by the balcony window to sort of overlook the whole city, and that's where he does his thinking. And then later on, we we come to find out that window that he's looking out of is how the kidnappers are looking into his house. And it's it's them being envious of his position in the, in this high tower above the city is partly what led to this whole situation. 
but there's a great moment sort of when they're under lockdown and he's trying to figure out what's going on and he goes to stare out over the city and feel powerful like he normally does but they have to keep the curtains closed and so he can't look mm-hmm. out the window and so he just goes and stands and looks at nothing for a minute and it's just a great <laughs> he opens the first blind but not the second and then quickly closes it when he realizes he can't yeah stares the blind yeah. and it's just it's such a great subtle moment of powerlessness that i i really appreciate it and it's one of those things that's you know, it's completely nonverbal. It's just all in the filmmaking and the blocking, like you're talking about, Sean. And mm-hmm. uh, I just, I just loved that that character moment of him y- being used to feeling powerful and being used to look out over the city, and then realizing that his power is partly what is ruining his life. It's the little geeky railroad nerd that was able to give his two cents on how like all the intricacies of railroad sounds. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. That character was so eccentric. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And the, uh, the junkyard yeah, yard incinerator guy. Uh-huh. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's really funny. Yeah. With all of those characters, sixties, fifties, um, Japan life as well. Mm-hmm. And getting mm-hmm. like yeah. an inner eye look on that kind of stuff. From the yeah. Past. Yeah. That was Sean's pick of high and low. And let's move on to our final film. Uh, this is a movie I chose for everybody to watch. Um, it is a Turkish film that I believe came out in 2015 called Mustang. Mustang is a movie that has stuck with me since I saw it. It was didn't actually make my top 10 2015. But as I went on, I, I think this movie like, I don't know, kept growing. And I have not forgotten it. So it was really cool to go back and watch this for my second time because it really hit me hard. Um, I think this is like a beautiful film on a look on a different um, culture that you don't get to see. And this group of sisters growing up, growing up in this world. And I like that the film isn't always so hard and harsh on their circumstances but you also get to see a good glimpse of like the joy and bond that they have um, growing up in this small village and there's there's a lot of like really tender moments between them and them protecting each other and looking out for each other and enjoying being with each other as they grow up in this I think it's like summer of their life Mm. Um, and when this movie hits its climax it is so like thrilling and exciting and you just want them to succeed so bad. Like I just like, you know, got super hyped up during that final 20 minutes. Um, and I like, I'll never forget the like beautiful purple shots that this movie concludes with of, you know, the beautiful city of Istanbul. Mm, Yeah. Um, and like, I don't know, it just really like brought tears to my eyes again, this time watching it, um, of her seeing that much hope in this massive city full of life and culture, um, yeah. that she now gets to be a part of. Um, it meant a lot to me back then and yeah, it really hit me hard again this time. And I think it's a really, really incredible ending and an incredible film. Um, so I'm excited you guys got to watch this finally. Um, had you guys ever heard of it, Sean? 
I had heard about it, um, you know, just a, around Oscar season. It was on my radar. It was actually on my list of movies that I wanted to see from 2015. Yeah, was um, it nominated for foreign, I think? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, uh, sure. I'm not sure what won um, uh, against it, but um, yeah, I, man, I loved this movie for, you know, all the same reasons you just talked about. Um, I, I loved the the bond between the, all the characters um, to kind of emphasize what you were saying about how they would protect each other. Like even in the, really the first scene um, after they, the scene on the beach with the boys, like the grandma is, um, is, you know, trying to, you know, punish them and, and hit, hit, I assume bring them into a room and, and hit them. And they're all just like swarming her, like grabbing onto their sisters and trying to pull them away from her. And like, um, yeah, it was like, they just like are all so compelled to protect all of the other ones, uh, all the other sisters. And, um, and then like another scene of, of bonding that just like I keep thinking about is when they're all I think just in one of their rooms and they're all it's like a dog pile um, of all the sisters as they're like as they're just sleeping and relaxing. And it's just like there's such a warmth to um, their their bond and um, and the lighting coming in. Yeah, it's like this really yeah. pure daylight coming in while their feet are all over each other's faces. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, and the way that they would play together. Um, and hang out together the way that they experienced joy together was so beautiful. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, how like the, there was kind of thematically, there was like a, a thematically and literally there was a, a, a prison being built around their lives. Um, as every time they got caught escaping the house, they, um, you know, the grandmother added, you know, uh, a steel, um, or, or like a lock on the door and then like would put a steel cage over their window and, and slowly, um, you know, imprisoned them in this house. Uh, and, uh, <clears throat> yeah. And, and then how that comes back in the end as the, as the thing that ends up, I guess, kind of saving them and, and right, totally. um, is the thing that allows them time to, to escape. Uh, I thought was Make a, their plan. a brilliant, yeah. brilliant little piece of, um, of, uh, storytelling. Um, and then, yeah, like the, the ending of this movie is so beautiful. Like that, that character, that what is some delivery guy or the guy who drives the truck? I forget yeah. what exactly yep. he, he yeah. was, but, um, like that character is like, I was so, I wanted so badly for him to be there for them. And I wanted so badly for him to just unquestioningly help them. Yeah. And, um, when he does, I just like, I broke down and like his, his decision to just help these girls who needed his help just because he could give them the help that they needed was such a beautiful sentiment and uh, was so touching. And she says, if he heard me, he'll show up like without question. Yeah. Um, It was, yeah, it was such a beautiful moment when he shows up. Um, And then like, I I loved the, 
the the fact that the youngest girl was really the one who was fighting the hardest um, for for her freedom and for her sister's freedom throughout the movie. Yeah. Um, it was kind of told through her perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah she was the main character. Lolly. It, was, it was her yeah. that really saves yeah. saves her sister in the end. Um, and I thought that was a really beautiful statement as well. Yeah. Mm. This is definitely the the lightest of Brandon's heavy hitters that he always recommends us watch. <laughs> yeah, what, uh, what did you think, Derek? I, I it, it was great. I loved it. Um, I'm yeah. It was just it was a relief to not be completely emotionally destroyed by the end of it. But, Man, um, that I I have not seen some of the other movies that Brandon has recommended and or forced on you guys because of contests. It's, it's not, and the fact that this not is really not one of bad. the heavy hitters <laughs> is horrifying to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like I don't. I don't think he's been ruthless in his picks. Brandon just has a different taste in movies that tends to be, yeah, these, you know, it's not light movies usually. <laughs> Super heavy but, foreign dramas about the misery yeah. of life. <laughs> <laughs> no, but this one was pretty happy. Like, like he said, a lot of it, there's a lot of beautiful moments just seeing their relationships and their, uh, you know, it's just like kids being kids and they're willing, they're like, like absolute determination to find fun moments throughout each day of their lives to, you know, make them, make it not so bad. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that was just really beautiful. I kind of, uh, agree with pretty much everything you guys were kind of saying. Um, I, it's weird like I know nothing. Turkey is probably one of the places I know the least amount on this planet. <laughs> uh, and so it's just kind of interesting to see, um, what a small, yeah, small village in this, you know, in, well, Turkey, but really that's any foreign movie like this. It's always, I think what, like a lot of the artistic, uh, stuff that shines through is how real it feels and how, um, how they're able to capture like what they're trying to capture. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if all these women are big actresses in Turkey, but like they, they all like are solid, like really sell it. They feel like real people, yeah. you know, in this real situation. Right. All these child actors just pull it off perfectly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It feels like a documentary almost. Um, yeah. And so, but that's, that's, that's the heavy parts of it is that you see all the, the rough parts of, um, this very specific, you know, part of a specific culture. Yeah. Um, but that's also the benefit, you know, that's, what's great about film is you're able to experience that. And luckily we don't have to go through it, but we're able to empathize with people that do now by, by people crafting film this good. Yeah. So that's really cool. Yeah. Uh, shout out to one scene that cracked me up this time that I forgot about was uh, the grandma seeing them on at the soccer game <laughs> on TV. Oh just yeah, she just her, goes like, around busting, turn, smashing things with rocks and like uh-huh. hammering out the like power in the house. Like it was, yeah, it was really yeah. well paced. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Does she shut down like the power? Yeah, but I like, think yeah. their, their auntie or somebody, yeah, goes and, <laughs> and 
throw, uh, throws rocks at the transformer. Yeah. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. I think. Uh, I, so, uh, yeah, what did you think, Cal? Um, I, I also, like, it's just, it's a really powerful movie. I, you know, I can't really say I enjoyed it. I, I had seen it before and, and I watched it again um, this week. Oh, right. Okay. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, a, it's really good. Um, one thing yeah, to kind of speak to what you guys were just talking about, I think that scene, um, and I, there's a handful of other moments in this movie that actually kind of lend it a realistic quality, um, because in general, the movie's not narrated, but Lale like cuts in to narrate certain moments where she's saying like, Oh, we found out about this later or, um, mm, yeah. you know, the, when the first sister gets married and, uh, she says like, this is the last time we would ever be together. It, right. it gives it this sort of, um, journalistic feel where, you know, or it feels like it's, you're not watching a character. You're watching a real person who made this movie about themselves, which I don't think is the case. I don't think this is based on a specific real situation. But at the same time, you know, it is in a certain way. Um, there are, mm. and, and that's, I think that's part of what makes the ending so brutal for me is, um, like not only within the characters of this movie, like, like two of the five sisters get out of town. One of them ends up with, you know, someone she actually likes. And, but then like, everybody else in that entire village is still trapped in this insane system of oppression mm-hmm. and, and, and still, mm-hmm. still trauma from that point of their life and their, yeah, their uncle. And so like uh, the, the ending I don't is think the youngest girl has that, but I, I think it's pretty clear. Uh, the second youngest, uh, before they escape also, you know, gets raped. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, yeah, like the the ending is beautiful because it's just this this final moment of a relief for them, um, and I think that's that's part of what makes the the movie work so well. Is I think part of it is is like Derek was talking about. Like I'm just not familiar with with this the the kind of culture that exists in this in this village or in Turkey in general, and so to watch to sort of acclimate to this, and you end up in sort of the position that they they are in is, is like, you never know what is a punishable offense, basically. Like mm-hmm. eventually you feel like any sort of expression of happiness or freedom from them is going to lead to a punishment or some sort of new layer of, of terror added to their lives. And so it, it is a, a weird movie. Like I, I, I agree that there are like, there are a lot of beautiful and, even really funny moments, but eventually like, I think those are almost not undercut, but there's, there's this, uh, there's a tension there in any happy scene because you are sort of programmed in the same way that they are, that them seeking out their own happiness just for the sake of being happy is, is not allowed. And so anytime they are happy, it's like, okay, well then what bad thing is going to happen next? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Every happy trading, moment is fleeting. Yeah. Yeah. It starts trading one type of scene for the other and yeah. it definitely starts yeah. spiraling 
into darkness, as you said, Sean, as they're like actually building a cage around yeah. this, the, these sisters. Um, and it, it gets, it gets harsher and harsher. So yeah, it's yeah. front loaded mm-hmm. and then until their lives start changing and things get worse. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, but yeah, I, uh, finish up. Yeah, go ahead. Go well, ahead. I was just going to say, well, that, that was one moment specifically that I wanted to, to call out is I think it's the scene like immediately far following when they have the bars put up and the sisters are, they're like in their swimsuits and they're just relaxing in the yard. And one of them has like her feet up on the new bars and, uh, mm-hmm. which is like just a great image of like these, these mm-hmm. women just like trying to relax and live their life. And like, you know, within this literal cage that's been put up around them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but the fact that the, the, the thing that like got me about that scene is like, I saw them, in their swimsuits and my first reaction is like oh you should go put on like your shapeless horrible dress that they make you wear because someone's going to get mad at you for being dressed like that which is like that is like me participating in the patriarchy of that scene (laughs) which i think is is kind of how the grandma comes off a little bit too like you realize eventually the grandma is kind of shielding them from the uncle but but she is shielding them by participating and mm-hmm. just trying to marry them away as quick as possible to yeah. get them out of the house. Yeah. And away so from what a worse. Yeah. Fate I mean, would so be. even, even the compassionate people who are trying to help are helping in a way that is permissible according to this abusive structure that they're trapped in. Um, and mm-hmm. so that, that scene of like my gut reaction being like, Oh no, like they're relaxed and hanging out in their swimsuits. Like they, they shouldn't do that. Like that was, that was a powerful feeling to realize I was having, of like, oh no, like now I'm part of it. Like I'm, I'm agreeing with it. I'm complicit in them being trapped because I'm agreeing. Like yeah. you'll get punished if you don't mm-hmm. follow the rules. And yeah. the, the doctor in the hospital, um, oh, yeah. you know, there's that subtle shot of the dad mm-hmm. showing the gun yeah. to the attendant. Um, yeah. And then, yeah. And then you just infer the rest of what's actually being scientifically stated yeah. about the girl. Yeah. Um, and then participating in that cover up as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But so were they this, in Istanbul yeah. in that, that hospital or is that like a local hospital? That, I assume that was a local. Yeah. One. Okay. Yeah, but they Istanbul. understand. So there's clearly like compete, like different cultures. Yeah in that that close area yeah. mm-hmm. that disagree with each other and how things are and that doctor recognized what was happening yes yeah that was my reading nice. as well right. that like mm-hmm. okay yeah this this village or you know this community is like they're pretty strict and conservative about everything but I, yeah I, I thought that was the implication as well that that was the regular doctor but that he is just not part of the same in-group right he went to university in Istanbul and yeah. just got this doctor job. Yeah. yeah. So he I had a question doesn't speak for everyone. Up when he knows the situation. Mm-hmm. Because being threatened by a gun. Yeah. Right. Right. Or, yeah. Yeah, go ahead, Sean. So the movie is called Mustang, and <laughs> it totally went over my head what that means. Did anyone I, I, catch no, that? Still, I was looking that up today. I couldn't find anything. I think that the implication is basically like that Lale, the youngest, is is like, she, I think she is the Mustang. Like she's just refusing to be. You can't break her. Yeah, she's, she's mm. just not being 
she's not allowing herself wild to to be reading right now a mustang is a this. wild horse free roaming horse of the mm. western united states yeah Right. Um, so yeah, I so, guess, yeah, I guess she's, that makes sense. So yeah, that was that was my reading. Yeah, like everyone else, like mm-hmm. gets tamed to a certain extent. Like that's a horrible word yeah. for it, but um, you know they're just like they they by force are bridled and ridden, and she's the, she's the one that is just like no, absolutely not. I'm never going to stand for this, even though I I don't know how old she's supposed to be, like ten or twelve or something, maybe. Yeah. I would- I think mm. so. And uh and so yeah, that that was that was my reading of the title at least is that she's she's the Mustang that just is like, nope, let's let's leave. Let's like kick down these doors and get out of here. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. I think that's probably right. Yeah. Yeah. Cool guys. I'm glad you had the chance to all finally get to check that out. Um Ooh. so I guess to wrap this up, Derek. Do we have anything we are looking forward to in quarantine as far as new film releases in the next month or this summer? God, I could not. There's not a lot, guys. It's looking pretty dire out there. Uh, The one thing I'm looking forward to, and I can't find any official news about it, but I feel like I heard like Dan Merle or something on uh, someone talking about it. it was The Green Knight, David Lowry's new movie. Is that getting released? Uh, That, well, so it, it, I don't know. That's what I'm curious about. I've heard rumors that A24 is trying to get it on a streaming platform somewhere. Um, so that's, that's like the, that'd be really cool. Mm. Um, but as of right now, it doesn't, it still has the it's May 29th release date, but theaters have already said they're not going to be open by then. Yeah. So it's not, so it's kind of up in the air, but that's something to hopefully look forward to if they find a landing date. But other, other than that, we don't get another new movie. Uh, until theaters open on July 17th, Tenant, David, or D- Christopher Nolan's uh, Tenant is the first scheduled movie. Yeah, blockbuster. Yeah. Yeah, and they're planning on, it sounds like they're kind of sticking to their guns to be open to release that movie. That'll be the first movie back. Yeah, and we'll then, see. So that's July 17th, and then we get Mulan later on in that same month. But mm-hmm. other than that, we ha- everything has like release dates after that, but I kind of feel like there's going to be a lot more shuffling shuffling around, especially if that July 17th doesn't happen. So. I mean, I can, I wouldn't be surprised if some things are still going to come out on home video. Um, you know, yeah. But, uh, oh, and also, I mean, I, I know Netflix and, and Amazon Prime are still going to be putting out their own new movies, but yeah, it's not, not exactly the same as the big cornerstone stuff. Yeah. Right. Um, so but I guess we'll uh, have our next episode before any of that <laughs> even comes close to coming out as well, since that's so far off. Right. But yeah, that David yeah. Lowry movie is exciting. Um, so mm-hmm. uh, to get prepared for the next episode, uh, my pick is going to be Mirror, Tarkovsky's film. Uh, Derek, what are you picking? Uh, I picked Fright Night. And Cow slash Nick. Uh, I was going with uh, Return to Me. And Sean. Uh, after Hours, Martin Scorsese's After Hours. Awesome. Can't wait, guys. Um, yep. Sweet. All right. Thanks for hanging out and talking movies. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Cal. Was yeah, fun. it was a thanks pleasure to be out. here. Thanks I, yeah, I had you. a blast. Thanks for having me. Yep. Great. Bye, guys. See you soon. See ya.